Hello, good morning, everybody. If you're sleeping, get up, go for a walk, drink some water as well, by the way, and put a smile on your face. Let's go. New day. New day. Let's go. Um, topic today. Uh, see a few comments in the groups as well saying, you know, my energy levels are low. I, have a, I don't have a breakfast. My lunch is like a salad and stuff like that. Um, and what I would say to people that have this type of lifestyle and say their energy is low, please test out actually having breakfast. I know you might say you don't like breakfast, but if breakfast gives you energy and makes you feel better in the day, you will start liking breakfast. Do you know what I'm saying? We have to be open to testing out different types of things in our lives. We can't just stay rigid. We are doing things. We don't even know why we do the things we do. We fall into a routine and we're like, I don't know why I do this. But I told 10 years ago, you know, I don't know. Why do I do this? I don't know. It's someone else told me to do it. Like, really think about it. So why don't we have an experimental mindset and start testing everything out? I can't tell you what the best diet is for you. And when I talk about diet, I mean what the best food combinations are for you. Who knows? Who's the be- What's the best food combination for you, energy wise? Don't know. Find out for yourself. What's the best food combination for you to lose weight? Energy is what matters mainly. And from there, your macronutrient split, you want to hit protein. You want to hit your protein target. Carbs and fat doesn't matter if you're under over your targets. As long as your protein and calories are the same, fat loss will be the same. Right, but that doesn't then that doesn't explain to him, that doesn't tell me if you prefer eating this type of way or that type of way. There's a lot of experimental experimenting going on there. Like maybe you do prefer eating low carb. That's absolutely fine. Test it out. Maybe you do prefer eating high carb. Who knows? Test it out. There's nothing wrong with testing out. You're not going to die eating high carb for a day. You know, we got these preconceptions of like. What healthy stuff is? Oh my god, that's high in. Have you have you heard like red meat's really bad for you and all that? Yeah, processed, processed red meat has been given a bad rep, and likely so. You know, it's not exactly the the best type of thing to eat. But lean red meat has been thrown in with that. People say, "Oh, eggs are bad for you." No, they're not. The problem is most eggs are eaten in diets like full English breakfasts and like you know greasy foods, and that was the problem. Total diet. It's always total diet that is really the culprit, not one individual thing you've had. Oh, the reason I'm not making this, oh, this is the reason, see? I'm having that banana. Got told bananas are bad for you. Yeah, that's that's exactly the reason. Oh my God, yeah. My salt's too high. That's exactly why. Yeah. Or you're like, oh, I'm having a bit too much sugar. That Exactly, I'm having that sugar. No wonder. No. You see, total, it's the, whole, it's the umbrella. Boom, all of it. What's your total energy? And what's that split into macro-wise? That's why in the, in, in the masterclass and stuff like that, we say, just eat what you usually eat and track it and see where it lands because it's a very interesting experiment to do. No challenge of beliefs you have. Why are you eating that way? Well, I don't eat breakfast because this is. I don't eat breakfast because I've been told it's better for fat loss. I, I eat breakfast because I told it's better for, better for fat loss. Like, there's always something, but you have to be open to experimenting. So please take that on board after you listen to this. Like, what can you experiment with today um, in regards to your diet? And what's interesting for me, looking at some of the research and looking back into like reading some old books I've read on um, nutrition and stuff by some really good researchers, there was a uh, there was a slogan by the um, Academy of Nutrition and Dietetic Dietetic I can't even say that word <laughs> like the Dietetics um, in nineteen ninety six right and the slogan was all foods can fit very simple memorable slogan published in the peer review literature. And it was in September 1997 as well. Um, and the reason they did this, right, they said this, the ADA's position was that labelling foods as good and bad had the potential to foster unhealthy eating behaviours. And this stance was 
influenced mainly by the research on the dysfunctional eating caused by black and white thinking about food. So they saw the research, they were like, holy shit. Guys, we're telling people, don't eat that chip because it's bad for you. Don't eat that egg, it's bad for you. What's, what's happening is we're stressing out people even more and the stress is causing people to be chronically anxious about eating and that's causing disordered eating. Now they haven't got a clue what to eat, they're stressed about eating. Anything they eat, things are going to kill them. We've actually made things worse. And they go, oh, yeah, shit, yeah, good point, mate, good point. So does it actually matter? No, not the concept of the full diet. So can they eat any foods they want? Yeah, for sure. Well, like, what's the main things that matter then? Well, of course, we don't want to be eating too much energy because if we are, if we overheat on energy, it's going to be stored as fat. We don't, we don't want to accumulate much fat. We have to all have fat in our bodies. Women hold more fat than men. Beyond the point, we don't want to get to overweight levels, right? Okay, so we need to limit energy, right? What the macronutrients are important. So the macronutrients contain calories. That's how we get calories out from the macronutrients. Okay. When we know protein is important, we know fat needs to be a certain level. But other than that, if the goal is fat loss, they can eat the rest of their calories from more fats or more carbs. It doesn't matter. So like, right. So that's kind of the, the world you live in. That's kind of the box. And the box is freedom in a sense. Now you've got to find out what foods fit that box for you. And that's the fun. That's the adventure part of this game. And that's the tool we've built for you to adventure with and I'm going to journey with. What types of carbs? Are you a high carb or low carb person? Who knows? Find out. Let me know. Are you high? Are you low fat, high fat? I don't know. Let me know. How do you feel when you eat more protein? I don't know. Let me know. <laughs> do you know what I mean? See, go and find out. It's cool. And the people say restrictive. There's no foods that are restrictive. The food, restricting food groups and food items are what the problem, I think. Restricting total portion size has never really been an issue. Nobody is going, oh my God, I had to eat 70% of the usual chips I eat and I've had to eat 50% of the usual chocolate bars I've eaten. No one's gone. That's causing me anguish in the brain and that is really the... the, the you're just eating less. And actually, when you look at the research... Plates used to be way smaller, right? A large bag of crisps today, right, was a... um, So a small bag of crisps today used to be a large bag back in the day. Think of nuts that is. Same as chocolate bars. I think they've gone a bit smaller now because they're saving money. But chocolate bars used to be smaller. The small used to be... No, the large... The small today is the larger before. Does that make sense? So they've slowly crept up in portion sizes, trying to get more retail space, trying to sell more products as fine as marketing. They've, our plate size have gone bigger and we eat the plate. Do you remember, does that make sense? Like if the plate is smaller, we eat less. A lot of bodybuilders, right? They eat with baby spoons. I'm not even joking. A lot of bodybuilders when they're prepping for a competition, they eat in their oats with a baby spoon. So they get like 50 to 100 teaspoons um, spoons instead of like me with a giant spoon and it's like four and it's gone you know it's little stuff like that if you think about it over time it makes a big difference of course reducing our portion size will feel slightly like maybe artificial in a sense like it's a bit weird I'm reducing my portion size I'm used to something bigger but you got to remember your bigger isn't you didn't decide what the portion size was meant to be that you didn't decide the normal portion size that's been pushed on you from all sorts of angles Right, so portion control is probably the most important, one of the most important things out of all of this. You control your portion sizes, you control in your energy intake. Does that make sense? And um, that's the golden goose. Is that what they say? The golden goose, the golden egg, is the the portion size management, um, where 
<laughs> I had some I had a common few. Oh yeah. So when it comes to what we're doing a turtle, there's a few names for it. It's called if it fits your macros, the slang term is called uh, flexible dieting, but it's not really a diet. Uh, it's called, um, you know, the short abbreviation of it's called macros. And it's really like a lot of people have taken it too far. Right? A lot of people have taken it very far and they've gone, well, if I can eat, if I only have to hit carbs, fat, protein goal, I can eat any foods I want. Yeah, you can. Right, I'm going to eat um, chocolate all day. Sugary sweets all day, McDonald's only, um, and all that, right? And then they do it, and they get results, obviously, and then they push out on the forums, and they're like, hey, look at me, I'm eating this, and everyone was like, oh my God, I'm having donuts and Pop-Tarts, like, I was part of these forums back in the day. Everybody was bragging that they could do all of these, getting shredded, getting leaner, eating all of these, like, quote, junk foods. They ruined the name. They caused, they give it a bad rep, and now people are like, yeah, but... You should be eating whole foods. Yeah, obviously. There's no doubt about that. And I think that's the important uh, thing to realise is like, you need to figure out what the good balance is for you. Like, some of you can have half your diet on the Baby Bell Lights, protein yoghurts, um, protein whey mix, um, one main meal, and then clear away. You know, there's a lot of processed foods there. There's a lot of things that aren't just found naturally there. You know, what we define as unprocessed. But some of you might be like, that doesn't sit right with me. Not My stomach's not agreeing with like these like high protein yogurts, these protein bars and these like whey protein porridge. And then you say, that's absolutely fine. Not everybody's going to react the same way. Why don't you try removing the protein bar, save yourself those 300 calories and try and replace that with a small meal. Maybe have a lot of veggies and all that and maybe replace that, right? And then you do that and you go, oh, yeah, my protein's better now. And it's like, right, fair. We're not saying one's worse than the other because someone else will be fine with it but what we're saying is you have to find out what works for you exciting I think um let me just get my notes out for you here oh yeah here we go <laughs> right this is why the fitness industry oh, it is strict uh, by the way in like the 90s they they changed the laws on supplements being advertised and you could put you could sell any supplement you didn't have to have any clinical trials you could have third party testings you can claim it's been like lab tested and all that and then you had an influx of all these protein powders and like not way on his own is fine but you had all these fat burners and things and they were claiming ridiculous stuff like burn way more fat with this getting massive with this and it was just it wasn't regulated people died literally go look type in after this podcast, type in a company called Driven Sports, right? A company called Driven Sports, owned by this guy. He had a company before Driven Sports. He was selling a tablet called, he had, he had the um, ingredient in it called DNP. DNP was used, it was highly toxic, and it would increase your metabolic rate by 30%. Some people 40%, right? That's nuts. Think about what that does to the body. Yeah, crazy. People died. Yeah, people lost fat, but people died, right? So he got jailed for this. He comes out, he sets a new company up. I didn't know about this, called Driven Sports, and he sells this pre-workout called Craze. I'm now in university. Craze comes out. I'm working in a supplement shop, working with the owner, seeing how he does the bodybuilding competitions, all that stuff. So I'm learning a lot. 
craze comes in, people are like me, that stuff is mental. I'm like, let me give it a go. Oh my God. It's, you know, I was like, I feel amazing. I went to the gym. I'm not even <laughs> I'm not even joking. I took crazy yeah, for a pre-workout. I went to the gym, right? I was so buzzing. I felt so euphoric. I started speaking to the receptionist. And I was speaking her head off for 40 minutes. And, all that. Yeah. and then 40 minutes got by. And then I was like, then I went to the gym and did a, a workout. I didn't want to stop working out. And I was like, what? What is, what is going on in there? And then it comes out like years later. It gets banned at the end. It comes in, it gets banned. The people were taking it before I told myself. It gets banned. It had um, it had this ingredient that was similar to amphetamines, I think, but slightly different. It had a very euphoric feeling. Yeah, it was unbelievable. But anyway, so he came out and he's still doing it. He's still like that company's still going. Dodgy stuff. Um, now, when it comes to books, this is where the problem is. So the second factor, in the research, the widespread confusion in the nutrition industry is that unqualified people and outright quacks have a knack for writing diet books that become quite popular. As a group, the science-minded people qualified to write books or dish out nutrition advice to the public are A, too busy counselling clients or treating patients, B, lacking in marketing savvy, or C, unwilling to bend the truth into something that hits all the right emotional hot buttons. As a result, the people succeeding at reaching the masses are serving up a lot of misinformation. Perhaps unsurprisingly, physicians compromise the largest proportion, 33.7% of the 14 occupations in the sample. The general public is unaware of how woefully inadequate the nutrition course requirements are for physicians, doctors. In contrast, Dietitians who have undergone rigorous extensive training in nutrition compromised only 3.6% of the occupations, making them third to last in front of TV personalities and psychologists who were tied for last place at 2.4%. It was also found that most of the authors of these books were not active in peer-reviewed literature. The following excerpts from the paper illustrate my point perfectly. In all our assessments of the summaries of best-selling books on nutrition show that they may provide information or misinformation about very important matters. It is likely that many, probably the large majority, contain substantial misinformation and claim that have, claims to have no scientific foundation. The information spread in these books may eventually have more impact on the public than the peer-reviewed literature as more consumers reported using nutritional information from friends and family members or from news articles or headlines on news on TV. Right, so most of the people writing most of the nutrition advice are actually not qualified. And do you know what a point really hits on for me is the, the, the people who really know the information are coaching people, you know, are helping people. And I'm not in this, I'm like, we've got some social media posts on Turtle, but I'm like, most of my time is like, how do I help you? How are we helping you? Like, I've got a nutrition qualification, precision nutrition. Dr. P's got various qualifications from training, rehab, rehab nutrition, all that stuff. We have Lionel McDonald, who's got God knows how many books out there. Um, so he's done a research paper, all that type of stuff. We have Dr. Eds, who is a nutritional researcher. So we're speaking to people who know... And I've gone through the process and it's like, we are bringing to you what the science is saying, but then we're also understanding, and this is what, helping you, speaking to you guys one-to-one, -one, understanding all the stuff is like massive. You get these books written by people who are like 
so far removed from the general public's view of health and how they're dealing day to day with life that they start writing stuff like new the new one is obviously gut health right this new gut microbiome this is the reason you're not losing weight sounds right blah 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 and they really hit the knees and people are going to go oh yes that's that muffin I've been eating of course it is oh my gosh the eggs I've been having that's a problem right as opposed to looking at their total lifestyle um they haven't spoke to these people as well like who in their right mind is going, this is what this like Zoe company is going to do. They're going to put continuous glucose monitors on people for two weeks. They're going to make people pr- prick their blood every few days to get their blood sample. They're going to make them eat these specific muffins at like specific times of day for two weeks. They're going to make them report things. And I like the general public are not going to do this. They haven't got the money to do this for one. And like, if you're going down the route of like your gut is the, is the answer but the only way to get gut monitoring is like really expensive testing. It's like, how, how is this helping people? Have you spoke to the average person about their health and stuff like that? You know, they're stressed out people. People are stressed out. High stress means, this is the thing. High stress, and I mentioned this in the podcast Monday about like the, the people living in um, less affluent areas are way more likely to be overweight or obese than people in affluent areas. You look at the research, food access is similar, similar supermarkets around. You can get fresh food for a decent price. You can fr- you can home cook and all that, right, obviously. But when it comes to it, it's like, yeah, you can have the perfect plan. You Everybody knows to eat the veggies, lean meats. Everyone knows having that crisps and chocolate every night's not good. But why does why why is it then that every person, nearly every person, no matter what background, struggles with their weight? But why is it that more people in poor areas struggle? Very hard question to answer. The research out there is like, I don't know, like, could it be, could it be that they, um, less support maybe? Could it be that they got, they're more stressed? And this is the angle I think really is the answer. Is like, we know in studies that people in poor areas, being poor is more stressful. And the, the poverty causes stress. Stress causes the rise in cortisol levels. Now, you listening to me like, well, I'm not, not, I'm not in poverty. This is where it's important to understand how it could impact you. This information in why zebras don't get ulcers it says if you are chronically stressed so you have high stress levels in your blood which poor people have more than people in affluent areas you instead of not having an appetite you have more of an appetite for foods that are high in salt sugar and fat okay so the more chronically stressed you are the more you're going to actually crave high calorific foods because being stressful is very taxing. So when you're stressed, acutely stressed, you've run away, you've used a lot of energy, you've got away, you've smacked someone, you've got away, you've escaped, tried, you bam, you're out. You've used a lot of energy. Now it's time to recoup the lost energy. Let's get the appetite up and let's eat. Chronically stressed people don't go through that process. It's just straight into like, we need high, we need more calorie foods now. So you've got these really stressed people. It's like being on a ship in a storm trying to thread a needle. Fed the needle is a representation of making sure your nutrition is on point, right? If the ship is your emotional state and there's a thunderstorm going on from the stress, you're going to find it really hard to do the right thing. You're going to find it really hard to thread the needle, right? So if the ship is not steady, it's going to be very hard. And this is the thing. Fat loss and weight management is more about emotional regulation than anything. So if people are in areas that are more stressful... It's harder to to juggle their emotions. They're acting out 
you know, the last thing someone wants to do, they come back from a full day of work, they're stressed about their bills, debt collectors are after them, loads of people are stressed about money, like huge percentage, like 80% of people are stressed about money. Debt collectors are after them, they have to look after their kids, they want to get home, they just want to sit down and watch their favourite TV show. You think these people want to freshly cook meals, do you? You think that's going to be the first thing? No, the first priority is paying the bills, roof over the head. Kids to eat, go and eat sausage rolls, whatever, that's easier. Go and have it whenever you want. You have to rely on me to cook, right? Remove that stressor. Survival is the is the thing to focus on. So people are not really focusing on optimising their health. And, and the unfortunate side effect of this is that they're going for high-calorie foods over and over and over. And over time, a lot of weight's been put on. Now, you don't have to be stressed via... Uh, poverty or low income to have chronic stress so you need to make sure you understand like, well why do people that start new jobs and gain you know the, the the fame what's it called the office 12 or something like 12 pounds in the year well you start a new job you're sedentary a lot you're more stressed you don't move and this is like there's a triple threat going on if you're more stressed you're more likely to crave high calorie high fat foods the more you, if you don't move at all, so your step comes really low, that dis, that this that causes dysregulation to your appetite system. So you actually crave, you actually crave more energy than you need. So that's two things going against you. And the more fat you accumulate, the less sensitive your 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 body becomes to when you eat. So you become you don't become less full when you eat. So there's three things, and you imagine this happening in tandem, right? High stress, putting on weight, not moving. You're not going to react as well to food. It's not going to fill you up. You can eat more food. You're going to sit down and not move because you're gaining more weight. You're going to get more stress about your weight. Wow. What a triple threat that is. So we have to be really self-aware about this. I need to understand that my emotional, that I need to steady my ship. I need to, I don't need to cause my own storm. If the storm comes, I need to get through it, right? Then obviously there's a lot of stressful times happening in our lives. You've got to get through it. We've got to try and remain cool-headed and stuff like that. But if we don't solve or manage to get the ship steady, which is your body, and we don't have this pumping with adrenaline all the time because you're full of anxiety and full of like stress, right? We need to reduce those um, responses. You're going to make life a lot easier for yourself if you can reduce your stress. There's proven ways to reduce stress, according to Robert Sapolsky, and I'll finish on this. Exercise is good. So if, when you get stressed, Energy gets shuttled into your thighs. Your heart starts racing. Adrenaline starts pumping. You are ready to scrap. You are ready. To, <laughs> you are ready to fight. You're ready to run. Oh, you get, you know you're ready to do that. And what we do when we are, when we're stressed, we sit down. So a good thing to do is if you feel stressed, is kind of go for a walk if you can. Go for a run. Go for a workout. Get use that response for something. Another thing is predictability. That helps reduce stress. No win. You've got like this coming in. You've got this work. You've got this task. You've got the gym sessions coming Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You've got this. Having predictability in your life helps with stress. Um, another thing that helps with stress is having an outlet for stress. I've mentioned this study before. Two rats. One rat had an outlet chewing on a piece of wood. The other rat had no outlet. Both rats were shocked. Stressed. Shocked to be stressed. The rat that didn't have an outlet developed stomach ulcers and ulcers all over the rat that did have an outlet didn't develop ulcers now rats are not you <laughs> i'm not saying you're a rat so i don't but it shows right having just an outlet that rat's just being able to chew so you're kind of transferring that stress out of you to somewhere else and you need to find that out of few it could be following a friend it could be writing in a journal it could be posting a post on the facebook group being like i'm really struggling blah 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 um 
It could be. There's no. You need to fuck. You need. You need to figure it out for yourself. You need to find out what your outlets of stress could be. You need to have them on hand at all times. And I think um, the key to this game of health is to reduce our stress, to steady the boat. I'm I'm quite positive of this at this stage. I think that um, you can have the best plan in the world, but if you're very stressed and anxious each and every day and you've got your adrenaline pumping, oh my God, it's so hard to make the right decisions. I've been, I say this because I've been through nights of, not, you know, anxiously trying to sleep, like recently about family stuff and uh, like just like heart pounding, adrenaline is going through, it's like two hours in, can't sleep, mind is racing. I'm like with it. I'm staying with it. I'm not trying to wish it away. I'm like, this is happening. It's a re- response. And I'm like naked up the next day and like feeling chest is a bit tight, you know? And this is like, these are all the symptoms of anxiety and stuff. And you're like, wow, it does impact you and how your decisions. And you have to, you have to be aware of it to make the, to make the right moves. And I'm doing it. I'm going training. I'm still doing that stuff. It's not limiting me doing that. However, if you let that get out of control, wow. Wow, you. it's going to be tough for you. So... Please reach out if you are struggling. And if this uh, resonates, let me know about the outlets of stress. Let me know what your outlets of stress are. Um, but another thing that reduces stress is to take things one day at a time. So we zoom it all back in now, all that rambling for 25 minutes for you. If we bring all this back into today and the next action, use this as a prompt. You know, do something that's going to be good for you after this. You know, journal, go for a walk, drink two glass, drink a glass of water, Put something in the app you've eaten. Get out of bed with a smile on your face. You know, get going. Um, stop wasting your time gossiping about this and that. And maybe don't spend two hours a night tonight watching, like, you know, reality TV or whatever. Or some TV pros are going to kill your brain. Why don't you go to bed early with a book? Or just go to bed early. No phones. And see if your sleep really does impact your next day. And you might wake up tomorrow really refreshed. So, yeah, that's it. Take things one day at a time. Anything is possible one day at a time. I'll speak to you all soon.